What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Martinez, on June 13th, 2019. Not going to lie, I don't have all the energy in the world today. I don't know why. I did, it's just one of those days. I'm just, I just, I'm not in the zone today. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm going to be completely honest. I just don't have the kind of juice that I normally do on most days. And especially on Thursdays, because they have the podcast every Thursday, obviously. Get excited for that, and if sometimes, even if I don't want to do the podcast, once I get started, once I get into the recording booth, the juices start flowing, I start getting pumped up, and I start building some momentum. Came in here today, and I got even more tired and more lazy than when I entered, or when before I entered the recording studio in this downtown metropolitan um, skyscraper that I, that I work in. Um, I just don't have the energy today. But I'm not going to let that slow me down. I'm not going to let that ruin today's podcast. Because today is a very important day. And I think we have a pretty good episode lined up for you. Today is game six. And even though it does feel more so like a game seven... It honestly feels more like a game seven than it does a game six. Kind of get has a feeling whoever wins tonight is probably going to win the series. Uh, obviously, that is the case if Toronto wins. If Toronto wins, obviously the series is over. But if Golden State wins and forces a game seven, even though they'd have to go back to Toronto, I feel like Golden State would have the advantage in that game, and it'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to bet against Golden State for game seven in the NBA Finals. But before tonight's game six, we had a game seven last night. Stanley Cup Finals concluded last... I'm not going to go into... It's not a hockey bit. We're not leading off with hockey. Just want to make it, you know, make an announcement, I guess. Just kind of a kind of a memo. The St. Louis Blues defeated the Boston Bruins in seven games last night in Boston in game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. A game that I did not watch. A game that I did... Follow. I was keeping track of it on Twitter. I, yeah, I am more than a millennial. I'm a Gen Z. I found out I'm not even a millennial. I'm a Gen Z. So I, I don't watch sporting events. I follow them on Twitter, and I keep up with news storylines that way. But the Stanley Cup champs this year are the St. Louis Blues. So uh, congrats to them. I guess I figured. Uh, and it actually was a big deal. I was surprised to see that the Stanley Cup Finals were trending number one in the nation last night. Even though, you know, the Stanley obviously hockey has a large following, but it is not one of the prominent sports in America. It just isn't. And I was kind of, you know, I saw a lot of people tweeting about the Stanley Cup Finals last night, which was kind of refreshing, you know, seeing... A lot of people were paying attention. Maybe there's, there was just nothing on last night. I'm sure if Game 6 of the NBA Finals was last night, the Stanley Cup Finals would not be trending on Twitter. That I can promise you. But it was, it was trending. was very popular. Did get a lot of it. did get a lot of attention. And so I just thought I'd just kind of throw that in there at the top of the show. But uh, with that being said, we have a Game 6. Before we can get to basketball's Game 7, we have a Game 6 tonight. In Oakland. And uh, we're going to be talking about that. We got uh, Kevin Durant's very unfortunate, very disheartening 
injury from game five. I mean, just the worst possible outcome. The, the very worst case scenario is exactly what happened to Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors. It will have more repercussions than just these finals. It will have lasting effects on not only Golden State, on not only Kevin Durant, but the rest of the NBA as well. And oh, by the way, yesterday, not only did we get the Kevin Durant and Achilles knew, we knew, we all knew it was the Achilles. It was just, just confirmation at that point. But about five minutes before that came out, Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj himself, dropped, I don't know about a gargantuan, maybe not a Woj nuke, but it was a Woj grenade. A Woj bomb of the smaller variety. The Lakers and the Celtics are both engaged in trade talks with the New Orleans Pelicans for Anthony Davis. It sounded like I forgot what Anthony Davis's name was. That's not the case. I was trying to pause for effect, and I ended up pausing for half a second too long. But besides that point, we will be talking about Anthony Davis, the trade rumors, what Kevin Durant means for those trade rumors, what Kevin Durant means for free agency going forward. We got a whole great big show for you today. They're all kind of interconnected. This is going to be an interesting show because it's like, it's all one topic really, but they're all kind of connected. So we're going to talk about the finals tonight first. Then we're going to talk about Kevin Durant's injury because that's going to connect us into the Anthony Davis story and free agency. So it's all going to be connected there's going to be a nice flow today something that we don't often have on the crowd noise podcast and then the quote of the week uh yeah well that'll be the outlier but it'll be in there we'll throw a quote of the week in there as always so here we go let's do it guys uh tonight 9 p.m eastern time that is 6 p.m pacific uh game six of the nba finals take place tonight It's the last game ever played in Oakland, in the Oracle Arena. There's never going to be a win or lose. No matter what happens, this is the last game that will ever be played in the Oracle Arena for the Golden State Warriors. So a lot of pressure, clearly, and a lot of emotion tonight. It's it's a really strained... This game has a lot more to do than just basketball. Obviously, you have that that overlaying, that overlying theme of the last game ever in Oakland. So there's emotion there, from mostly from the fans, but for the players as well. Stephen Curry's been he's been in Golden State his whole career, as has Klay Thompson, as has Draymond Green. Oracle Arena is, I think, the third oldest arena in basketball. So there's a lot of history there. So there's a lot of emotion coming from that aspect. Then you have the emotion of Kevin Durant and his absence. And there was a large wave of emotion in Game 5 when he went down and you just knew exactly what it was, exactly when it happened. It was an Achilles tear. Obviously was not entirely ready to come back. We're not going to get into that just yet. I want to focus more so on the games first. Tonight and the last game before we actually talk about Kevin Durant specifically. So there was a big wave of emotion and a big shift in momentum clearly 
obviously when Kevin Durant went down, it sucked the oxygen out of out of Golden State. It took the wind right out of their sails. They were able to to stand pat and win Game Five, obviously because we wouldn't have a Game Six tonight if that wasn't the case. They almost gave it away, but they didn't. They were able to hang on just enough to force a Game Six coming back to Oakland. So there's a lot of things that we have to talk about before we even talk about the games, which is something that I do think favors Toronto. Toronto can come in tonight and just play basketball. Golden State has to worry about a bunch of other things that have nothing to do with the game itself. They have to deal with the emotion of playing their very last home game ever in this particular arena. It's the last game in Oakland ever. They're moving to San Francisco next season. So not only are they moving buildings, they're moving cities technically. I mean, it's still the Bay Area I don't know how far as far like Oakland is from San Francisco as far as time. Like I don't know if it's 20, 30 minutes away. It's not very far, but it is different. It's it's not the same city. So, you know, there's a lot of emotion for pe- for people in Oakland who have had the Warriors that in that city their entire lives and they're going to lose them there tonight, win or lose. So they have to deal with that emotion. They have to deal with the questions and the adjustments having to play without Kevin Durant. That is something that cannot be ignored tonight. Clearly, I mean, he's the best player on their team. The best player in the series when healthy. I would still give him the edge over Kawhi Leonard. And he's going to be... They're going to be without Kevin Durant tonight, obviously. So that's going to be another storyline that they're going to have to put up with. And then they can worry about playing basketball. So, And the Warriors are mature. They've been here before. This is their fifth straight finals, I believe. Their fourth straight finals. I believe it's the fifth. So it's not like they are prepared to deal with distractions. I don't think they're going to collapse and it's gonna, they're going to crumble under all the distractions. They're not going to be ready to play. I do think Toronto will jump out on Golden State. I do think with all the, it's going to take some time for Golden State to kind of really get focused and really get locked into things. There's going to be too much going on, I feel. Maybe the first quarter, maybe the first half of the first quarter, um, Golden State comes out a little bit slow, a little bit rusty, and Toronto's because they don't have to deal with any of the media that Golden State's had to deal with all well, not all week, but these past two, three days, however much you want to count it. Golden State's had to put up with a lot that Toronto has not had to put up with. So I do think Toronto will jump out on Golden State tonight with all the emotion and all the distractions that Golden State's going to have to deal with. But I don't think that will dominate the the course of the game i don't think golden state will just come out and be flat and just get blown out i don't think that will happen it's going to be a very close game either side i mean toronto they've in the games that they've won they've beaten golden state handily but they haven't blown them out they have dominated and taken control of all three games that they've won but it hasn't been 15 20 point blowouts they've just been in commanding you know they've had commanding leads they've been in nice they've had control they've been up 10 11 12 points but it was never like completely out of the question that golden state can come back or it was just a you know a dominant embarrassing performance so um, all the games have been close i think this one will be another game decided by single digits speaking of single digit games we got to talk about game five we can't talk about game six without talking about Game 5. Kevin Durant comes out, he's back, and he's dominant. Kevin Durant looks like Kevin Durant. There was no 
half step. He didn't look slow. He didn't look rusty. Came out and he scored. I don't even. He, he had m- m- the majority of their points. That's that's what you call analysis in the broadcasting business. He was a focal point in their offense. They looked like the Golden State Warriors again. They were playing so smooth. And not only was it Kevin Durant, it was Klay Thompson. It was Stephen Curry. Draymond Green hit a three-pointer. That's big news. Kevin Durant enti- I mean, completely uplifted that entire offense. They were revitalized. They were rejuvenated. They were playing fun. They were playing fast. They were hitting threes. I think they started off the game eight for eight from three. Or maybe not, like six for six from three. Like They started off on a hot streak from the three-point line with Kevin Durant in the game. And he never and he played a lot of minutes. He came out and he played 12 of the first 14 minutes of the game. That's a lot. That's a pretty big workload, even for someone who isn't coming off of an injury. That's a pretty big workload. I mean, for the postseason, if you're the number one player on the team, that's something to be expected. But if this is your first game back in over a month, that's where things start to get a little bit Interesting, shall we say. In the second half, Kevin Durant goes down. We've all seen the play. It's an isolation situation with Serge Ibaka. Tries to take a step. and he, You can see, if you look at his calf, if you look at his right leg, you can actually see his leg pop. And it's not entirely gruesome. It's not like one of those videos where if you watch it, it's just like cringeworthy. But you see it and you go, oh my goodness. You see it pop. He goes down immediately, and he exits the game. And now, he's done for next season. Not only is he out for the series, he's out for next season. And, you know, I don't know if Golden State wins that game without Kevin Durant's effort, even in the first half. Because they ended up only winning by one point. Final score was 106-105. And that was with Kevin Durant's efforts. That was with him you know, providing the spark and getting the offense going in the first half. Not, well, I can't say not as, as effective in the second half because he went down in the third quarter. So he went down relatively early in the second half. So really we can only judge what he did as a basketball player in that first half, and he was phenomenal. So I can argue they don't win that game without Kevin Durant because of his scoring and because of the way he set up his teammates' ability to score in that first half, the whole floor was entirely wide open. Klay Thompson was on fire coming off the screens. Stephen Curry was doing Stephen Curry things. Off the dribble, hesitation, through the legs. I mean, just throwing it up. Ridiculous shots, and they would go in nothing but net. No rim. They look like the Golden State Warriors again, like the Harlem Globetrotters of the NBA. And then he goes down, and all of a sudden, Toronto goes on a run. They actually had taken the lead. And this is something I really want to talk about. They go up six points in the fourth quarter. And then Nick Nurse, head coach of the Toronto Raptors, calls not one, but two timeouts. You call a timeout normally in basketball when the other team, the opposing team, is going on a run, and you call a timeout to try and stop the bleeding before things get really, really get out of hand. You do that when the other team goes on a run. Nick Nurse did that when his team went on a run. Kawhi Leonard actually scored 10 straight points by himself. And the Raptors went up six, and then he called a timeout. 
saved, not only saved the Warriors a timeout, but he stopped the momentum. He didn't do that just one time. He did that two times. Twice. And that was the tipping point of Game 5. Now, Charles Barkley went on national television last night and essentially called out the Crowd Noise podcast. Of course, I hadn't said this until today, but I'd still felt the same way. He said, it's absolutely stupid and asinine to believe that Nick Nurse is at fault for costing them Game 5. And while Charles Barkley is an iconic player, I'm not going to dispute that. I'm not going to dispute his basketball IQ. I personally, the host of this very small, this very delicate show that we run, I disagree with Charles Barkley. It's absolutely inexcusable for Nick Nurse to call a timeout when your number one player has scored 10 straight points. When you take a six-point lead in the fourth quarter, you have the opportunity to win the finals in five games in front of your home fans. There's absolutely no reason to call a timeout in that scenario. And maybe Golden State calls a timeout anyway, which they should have because, again, when you're, when you're the team that's giving up the run, you call a timeout. So maybe a timeout gets called in that case anyway. But I'd be willing to bet Golden State only calls one timeout, not two timeouts, especially if they go on their own run. That it changed the game. It took the wind out of Toronto's sails. It's the second time I've used that metaphor today. I like that phrase. It took the it took the wind out of Toronto's sails three times, and it completely de- it, it destroyed the momentum for Toronto. It gave Golden State the opportunity to come back, which they did. Stephen Curry hit a three. Klay Thompson hit the game tying three. Oh, by the way, what did Toronto do? They called a timeout after that Klay Thompson three. So it made no sense. So they spent three timeouts in the span of like two minutes. Golden State takes the lead eventually on the ensuing possession. And even still, we wouldn't be talking about this if Toronto had won the game, which they had a very good opportunity to do. Um, they doubled Kawhi Leonard instantly, as you do. They immediately doubled Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he passes up to Fred Van Vliet, who I despise, but I will give him his credit. He's been playing phenomenal. He has been one of the X factors in this series. I will give Fred Van Vliet his credit. He passes up an open shot. He was wide open. Now, I will defend him in this sense. I will try and create a case for Fred Van Vliet, who I dislike personally, and I've never even met him. It has nothing to do with his character. We just know where I stand on this. No pun intended. I am a height supremacist. And Fred Van Vliet is a very short individual. So that's where I stand on that. He had an open shot and he passed it up to Kyle Lowry in the corner. The reason for that, I would assume. I think, and of course, I don't. I haven't spoken to Fred Van Vliet. I don't have those kind of credentials. This is just my assumption of what I think. Maybe he was thinking this may not even be true, but this is what I'm what I think. I think he was afraid of taking a shot too quickly and giving Golden State an opportunity to come back and score, either tie the game or enforce an overtime or win it. In which case they would only have maybe two seconds if Fred Van Vliet had taken the shot and making it and and made it the Golden State called timeout. They would have only had like two seconds to have done that anyway, which they're certainly capable of with Stephen Curry. He's got a a very quick release and Clay Thompson Two fantastic three-point shooters. But 
I would have taken my chances personally. Again, you know, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback. In that scenario, I still think he should have, should have shot it. But again, if they make the ensuing shot, we're not we're not talking about that. Nobody cares. So he passes up to Kyle Lowry in the corner. This there's I mean less than two seconds left in the game at this point. He's forced to throw up a shot. Um, it was a terrible shot. Was not his fault. Kyle Lowry had no time whatsoever to get himself a better shot or to move the ball around. He had to throw it up. That instant, Draymond Green makes a fantastic closeout. He actually gets a piece of the ball. The ball hits the side of the backboard. Game's over, and here we are going to game six. I do think the tipping point of that, that, that whole scenario, again, could have been avoided had Nick Nurse not taken two consecutive timeouts back-to-back. And then when Golden State goes on a run, he, does, he calls a timeout when you're supposed to take a timeout. When the other team goes on a run, not when your team goes on a run. You do not want to kill your own team's momentum, which is what he did. And even still, they were able to come back in that game and make it to where it was only a one-point game. Any basket wins it. And they weren't able to execute. It happens. You know, can't make, can't make all the shots. You just can't. The people, Michael Jordan missed game winners. Kobe Bryant's missed game winners. LeBron James missed game winners. Kyle Lowry is more than capable of missing game winners. Fred Van Vliet is more than capable of passing up game winners. Is it Fred Van I know we had this a few weeks ago, and I just want to make it correct. It is Fred Van Vliet. I don't know why I always want to call him Nick. For some reason, I always want to call Fred Van Vliet Nick Van Vliet. I have no idea why. Does he have a brother? I don't know. You can Google that for yourself. But anyway, Toronto had an opportunity to win that game, even still with the two timeouts. They had an opportunity to win. They didn't. And so here we are. Game six. I am inclined to lean towards Toronto. Not tonight. I will say Golden State is going to win tonight. Last game ever in Oakland. I, I don't see any possible way. Even though Tor- and Toronto this season is undefeated in the Oracle Arena. They're 3-0. and They won the two games this series back-to-back. And they won one regular season in Oakland earlier this year. I don't see any way Toronto wins tonight. I just don't. Last game ever in Oakland. You have so much emotion. Which I talked about earlier as an advantage for Toronto. And I do think that will be an early advantage for Toronto. And later on in the game, once Golden State kind of gets back into the swing of things, gets their heart rate down, gets into a rhythm and a nice tempo, I do think that's going to play in favor of Golden State, which in which case they will take over in the second half. They will not relinquish the lead. It will be another close victory for Golden State. I'm talking two, three, four points. It will be another very close game. I do think Golden State will force a game seven. In which case, it's very hard for me to pick either team in this scenario. Game 7 is going to be incredibly hard to pick. And we're going to talk about Game 7 now because Game 7 would be, if there were a Game 7, on Sunday. Meaning I would not be able to talk to you before the next ensuing game. So we're going to have to talk about that a little bit right here. It would be hard for me to pick Toronto and because they'd be coming off two straight losses, two straight close losses, meaning they played very good games and they still weren't able to win. It'd be hard for me to pick Golden State because they're playing Game 7 in Toronto, where Toronto was very good. It'd be an insane home court advantage. Conversely, like 
tonight is an insane home court advantage for Golden State, it would be equally as impactful for Toronto. Game seven in I mean, chance to win their first ever finals. Jurassic Park will be, and, and see, I, I mean, that's something else I want to talk about. Jurassic Park is not necessarily a home court advantage. I kind of misspoke there because Jurassic Park is outside. So it doesn't matter how many people are in Jurassic Park, they don't have an impact on the game inside. While they are very committed fans and they show up there at nine in the morning for games at nine at night, I do applaud them for that, but they don't have very much of an impact on the game. Even still, the crowd inside, uh, it's not the Air Canada Center. They changed it to Scotiabank or Arena or something like that. But the people inside the arena will be very loud. They will be very engaged. It's very hard for me to pick one or the other. So I defer. My original pick for this series was Warriors in seven. We did not arrive to this conclusion in nearly the same way as I predicted. However, Warriors in 7 is still Warriors in 7. So, while it would be very hard for me to pick that Game 7 because you'd have Golden State coming off of two straight wins, but they're playing in Toronto, and you have Toronto coming off of two straight losses, but they're playing in Toronto, it'd be hard for me to kind of and honestly, in that game, Toronto should be favored. Without Kevin Durant, Toronto is the better team. They went up 3-1 in this series for a reason. They're really good. So Toronto should be and would be favored in that game seven at home. But it's too close for me to call. I think it would be closer than the experts think. And in that case, I defer to my original pick. I am not one to switch picks. I'm not one to change my original predictions. I admit when I'm wrong. But I'm not one to change and bail out on predictions midway through. So I stay with my original statement. I have the Warriors tonight. I don't see how they lose. I think tonight is all next to a guarantee. I'm not going full Broadway Joe, but as close to a guarantee as you can get. And then game seven, a tentative Golden State victory. And now here is the bridge. The Kevin Durant injury story, whatever you want to call it. This is going to be our, our, our bridge, our, our gap in between the first story of the episode and then the last story. This is going to connect it all together. It's going to be like, you know, like the train track Legos. Do you ever play with Legos? Of course not. No one played with, with Legos, obviously. something this, this has something to do with the uh, sports analogy. Anyway, I want to get into... The Kevin Durant injury specifically. Not to, uh, we talked about the game and what that meant and you know this, that, and the other. Let's talk about Kevin Durant specifically from a more isolated standpoint. Uh, a lot of people felt, and there was a report that came out after Game 5, his injury. It said Kevin Durant was not close to 100% that game. He was not ready. Um, and yet the Warriors, doctors, their team staff, cleared him and so the question that arose in the ensuing two days is who is to blame is there anyone to blame what happened could this have been avoided should Kevin Durant have been playing game five should he been forced back and I just want to give my take on that this was not the Golden State Warriors doing 
I will say that 110%. This was not the Golden State Warriors forcing back Kevin Durant. I promise you that. And while I record, obviously, again, I always have to say this. I'm not, I don't have the, cre- the credentials. I'm not in the Warriors facility. But I, this is what I feel. The Golden State Warriors have a very important, important summer looming this year. Obviously, Kevin Durant can opt out of his deal and become a free agent. DeMarcus Cousins will be a free agent. Klay Thompson will be a free agent. They have a lot to worry about. And while, of course, we've all heard the Warriors are preparing for Kevin Durant to leave, that does not mean that they want him to leave. It does not mean they don't want him back and they're, they just want this third title and to send him on his merry way. That means they're preparing for Kevin Durant to leave, meaning they still want him back. So if you're in a scenario where someone can opt out, and he would have opted out anyway, whether he was going to resign with Golden State or move to another team, he would have opted out of his contract anyway because that's normally what you do. You don't. You, it's rare that you see an athlete opt into that, that last year option. It's very rare because they're just going to be a free agent anyway. It doesn't make doesn't make much sense. So he would have opted out and it, they would have tried to have re-signed him, which I think they would have had a very compelling case. You win three straight titles and potentially three straight NBA Finals MVPs. It's kind of hard to turn that down. So they would have had a very compelling case to bring back Kevin Durant. But you don't wait until summer to start recruiting him and start convincing him you got to stay. This starts at the beginning of the season. This is why the Draymond Green scenario was such a huge deal. You have this impending free agency, and if you are so concerned that he's leaving, why would you publicly call him out in national media? It was, it was a big deal for a reason. And that had passed, and they had seemed like they had mended that bridge, and you know we'd moved on, and here we are in the finals. Golden State did not force out Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant volunteered himself. With the impending free agency that Kevin Durant has, and really holding not only just the, few, the fate of the Golden State Warriors in his hand, the fate of the rest of the NBA. They were going to do everything in their power to make sure he was as happy as he possibly could be. If he didn't want to play, they would not have cleared him. If he wanted to play, which he did, they would have absolutely cleared him without any hesitation under any circumstances. Because they were, going to, they were prepared to give him whatever he wanted to make sure he kept, they kept him happy. So he was constantly lobbying and you know, forcing his way through the team doctors saying, I want to play, I'm ready, I don't care what the MRIs say or whatever, I'm ready to go, let's play some basketball. And while the Golden State doctors may not have felt entirely confident in Kevin Durant being ready to play, they gave it their okay. So is this negligence? Um, to some extent, yes, because the doc, your doctor should be, you know, should not be your friend. Your doctor should be honest with you, right? It's not always what you want to hear. It's always what you need to hear. So in that sense, yes, maybe they should have overrode him and say, you're not ready. But in another scenario, on the other side of the thing, it's not criminal negligence. It's not I, I do feel that they're, they did have the best intentions. They gave him the benefit of the doubt, you know, and he trusts his body. He's, Kevin Durant has been in the league long enough to know his body, and he felt like, I'm ready, I can handle it, I'm ready to go. And that first half, like I said, he was phenomenal. 
it looked like he was ready to come. I would have if and again if he had never gotten injured, we're not talking about this. This isn't even a thought in any of our minds because he looked more than ready as far as basketball his, his skill. He was he, he there was no rust. He didn't skip a beat. Fantastic. So early on, it looked like he was ready to come back. So I don't think this is a huge. I don't think this is something you can blame on the Golden State doctors or their medical team. If this is just he was not ready. He wasn't. But in this dire scenario, down 3-1 and Kevin Durant being a competitor, you're going to get out there under any and all circumstances. Whatever the case may be. And maybe Kevin Durant didn't feel like he was hurt. Maybe he did feel healthy enough to play, but inside, internally, his body was not ready. He was still going to go out there and give it everything he has. And he did. They would not have won that game without Kevin Durant. They only won by one with him. Without him, they likely lose that game. What will this mean for the Warriors tonight? I don't know. I do think they'll be able to win without him at least one more game. But we don't know that for a fact until tonight. We'll have to watch the game. Tune in 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. What will this hold for the Warriors in the future? If he were to opt into his deal, you're looking at a red shirt year, essentially, for lack of a better word. He is not going to play next season. That much we know. The Achilles tendon or an Achilles tear, ruptured Achilles, that takes a full year just to recover. That's before you even begin to start working out again, start running, start doing basketball activities. That's that's a year at least. So it is a very realistic opportunity or it is a realistic scenario that he opts into his final year of his contract because he's not going to be playing anyway. Could he opt out of his deal and test the free agency markets? Yes, absolutely he could. He's still Kevin Durant. You know his name. What kind of a market will he have? I don't know. There will definitely be teams out there. Could he make potentially more money if he waits a year? Maybe. These are all maybes at this point because we don't we won't know until it happens. We won't know until Kevin Durant opts in or out what kind of market he'll have, what kind of money he'll be offered, what kind of length of deals he'll be offered. We won't know of any of that. If Maybe he opts in and we're not talking about any of this until next summer and then he'll be a free agency again. And this is a very different scenario because now you're talking about Kevin Durant as a free agent an entire year later without having seen him play for a year. At least now, you ha- there, the memory of Kevin Durant's Game 5 performance is still very fresh in our mind. Fast forward one more year, having seen Kevin Durant, there's going to be a lot, of more, a lot more skepticism, I would think, next year than there would be now. So maybe it is the wiser thing for him to opt out of his deal and sign, uh, sign a new contract with a new team this year rather than wait till next year. That remains to be seen. That is Kevin Durant's decision, clearly. And I don't know at this point. And of course, the surgery was just yesterday. We don't know what he's thinking as far as opting in or out one day later. And I do think this has repercussions for the rest of the entire league, not just the Golden State Warriors. And I think one of the biggest, and I don't like using this word because you don't like calling someone a winner when someone gets injured, but the biggest winners from this whole scenario 
are the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. I told you this was a bridge we're leaning into or we're starting to get closer to the end of the bridge into our next subject, but we're still on the bridge currently. The biggest winners from this were the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. The reason for that being the Lakers now have a a more open opportunity to trade, or excuse me, to sign Kyrie Irving. Why is this? You may recall last week, and again, that was, maybe this is all my fault. I kind of jinxed the whole scenario. Did a whole pat my back. It was like an hour and a half of me gassing myself up because uh, it said there was a Woj bomb that came out that said Kyrie Irving was very serious about joining the Nets. And I connected the dots. Kevin Durant was probably very interested on going on, very interested in going to the Nets with Kyrie Irving. And then they could potentially trade for Anthony Davis. And so I called that a few months ago and I was kind of gassing myself up. That erases that entire scenario. And here's why. Kyrie Irving is not going to the Knicks. I know we were talking about the Nets, but I wanted to get to the Knicks first. He's not going to the Knicks because they're not a good team. We discussed this last week. They're not a good basketball team. They're only good if they have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and maybe even R.J. Barrett or if they, they you know, swap that pick for Anthony Davis, then, then they're a good team. But a lot has to happen for the Knicks to be good. For the Nets, they're already a pretty good team, but they're not a title contender until you add Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and then really put them over the top. Anthony Davis as well, create their own big three in New York. But without Kevin Durant that erases that entire possibility because Kyrie Irving is very unlikely to go to the Nets at this point, I feel. Maybe he's still interested in the, in the Nets. Maybe he's not really too... Maybe he doesn't really care about a co- coexisting in the same backcourt as D'Angelo Russell, which is my biggest concern. I don't see how that works at all. I think that's, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. D'Angelo Russell and Kyrie Irving on the same team. Unless the Nets are willing to part ways with D'Angelo Russell and bring in Kyrie Irving, in which in what I would say is still not a very I mean it's an upgrade from D'Angelo Russell, obviously, but how much better does that really make your team in this in the grand scheme of things winning a championship? Not that much better. Because you don't get Kevin Durant, and even if you do sign Kevin Durant, let's say he opts out of his deal and the Nets sign him, you still have to wait a whole year, and then you don't know what Kevin Durant is gonna look like. Two seasons from now, is he still going to be Kevin Durant? Only time will tell, but a lot of ifs for the Nets at that point. So I don't think Kyrie Irving is too keen on going to Brooklyn anymore. I think that's kind of gone up in smoke. So the Lakers are winners from this because now I think Kyrie Irving, and the Celtics as well, because I think Kyrie Irving's options now are down to the Lakers and the Celtics. I do think this summer is going to come is going to be a very 1980s like summer. It's going to come down to the Lakers and the Celtics in a lot of different scenarios. Number 1 Kyrie Irving. I think his two options are the Lakers and the Celtics. And it's going to come down to the Lakers and the Celtics again with Anthony Davis. As we've already heard from the Woj grenade yesterday, the Lakers and the Celtics are actively discussing trade packages for Anthony Davis. So the Lakers now, outside of the Celtics, 
the best fit for Kyrie Irving on the Lakers. They are. Outside of this, I mean, maybe the Celtics aren't even a good fit for Kyrie Irving, but just seeing as though he's already played for that team, every team outside of Boston, I would say the Lakers are the best fit. He's already won a championship with LeBron James. The Lakers are discussing trading for Anthony Davis with or without Kyrie Irving, and in which case they would have to get rid of Lonzo Ball, meaning they need a point guard. Bingo. They need a secondary scorer because LeBron James needs an off-ball scorer, someone who can get isolation buckets, someone who can shoot. Enter Kyrie Irving. Perfect fit, and he's already won a championship with LeBron James. On the court, LeBron and Kyrie are, I mean, they're a match made in heaven. They work seamlessly together. It was their locker room presences that really caused friction and forced Kyrie. Kyrie Irving got up and left. He requested a trade. He didn't even leave as a free agent. He requested a trade. Get me out of here. I can't deal with this guy anymore. Maybe Kyrie Irving has changed over the course of two years. I would say he certainly has. To what extent does he want to play? Does he want to do that all over again? I don't know. Has he gotten to the point where he's willing to do that again? I don't know. But it's not out of the question to say, you know, maybe Kyrie Irving can put his differences aside to win some titles in L.A., potentially with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now let's talk about the Celtics being a winner here. The Celtics are a winner here because Kyrie Irving's options now are lessened by Kevin Durant's injury. Again, because the Knicks are out of the question. The Nets are kind of a long shot, I would assume. And the only other team, again, that I see as a fit for Kyrie Irving, or even that we've heard Kyrie Irving is interested in, are the Los Angeles Lakers. And that's one team instead of three different teams you have to compete with. So now the Celtics can make a compelling case for him to come back. I was kind of shocked that they were even interested in bringing Kyrie Irving back after this whole season uh, you know, kind of infighting in the locker room. I was surprised that they were they would want him back, but it seems as though they do. And if they do, they have a pretty good opportunity to do so. And it kind of hinges on their ability to trade for Anthony Davis. And they are kind of in a rough spot here. Because they need to trade for Anthony Davis before Kyrie Irving signs. Ky- um, excuse me, free agency does not start till. June 30th. The draft is next week. It's actually the week from today. June 20th. And the Pelicans are keen on trading Anthony Davis before the draft because they want to assess the draft pick that they're going to acquire in any package and then either flip that for a new, for a veteran player or obviously scout the players that they're going to be using those draft picks on. So the Celtics have a strange timeline. But if they were able to trade for Anthony Davis it would make a more compelling case for Kyrie Irving to stay in Boston. And let's now we're moving uh, into our Anthony Davis territory. We have officially crossed the bridge. We've crossed the bridge, and we're getting into Anthony Davis now. Specific. I told you, this whole episode was interconnected. It's like the MCU. The Celtics are in a weird timeline because... They have to trade for Anthony Davis before the draft and before Kyrie Irving would sign with either them or anyone else in the league. So they're taking a bit of a gamble. Taking a big gamble, actually, because Rich Paul said yesterday as well, a lot of news, basketball news yesterday, blatantly said 
basically the Celtics do not trade for Anthony Davis. Or he, what he actually said is trade for Anthony Davis, give up your assets, but understand he's opting out. He's a free agent. He is a rental. So while the Celtics, I'm sure, have plenty of confidence in their ability to convince Anthony Davis to stay, as they should. I mean, if you're an organization, you have to have confidence in your, in your ability to bring in free agents and re-sign guys who are already on your team. If you don't have that kind of confidence, then it's not the right business for you. But Rich Paul did give out that warning. said, if you trade for him, understand he is a rental and don't blame Rich Paul. Talking about himself in the third person, which is sometimes cool and sometimes annoying. This time, I, I'm indifferent to. So they would have to give up likely Jason Tatum, likely Jalen Brown, and a couple other draft picks, and potentially Al Horford too, because there's no need for Al Horford in this scenario. And then acquire Anthony Davis, clear obviously, and then re-sign Kyrie Irving. So you're taking a big risk immediately. Because if Kyrie Irving gets up and leaves to L.A. and you give up all your young assets for Anthony Davis, now you have Anthony Davis and nothing else. And then Anthony Davis really will not stay because that team is not built to win a championship. And now you have nothing. So they're taking a very, very big gamble from that point, from that standpoint. On the other hand, trade for Anthony Davis. Kyrie Irving is not very interested on on being LeBron's number two again. Resigns with Boston, plays in Anthony Davis, potentially gets to the finals. We don't know where Kawhi Leonard is going. Maybe that you know that, that eliminates a, a whole other team in the East. Opens up, you know, your path to the finals. Just a little bit more. Get to the finals. Maybe not win one, but you get to a finals, say, hey, we're one we're one piece away. Give me another year. By some miracle, maybe you convince Anthony Davis to stay. I don't know. What if Kevin Durant opts into his deal in Golden State and you get to the finals, you lose, make some moves, kind of set up some cap space, and you bring in Kevin Durant in free agency of next summer. Now you have Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis in Boston. I'm so set. I'm so determined to get Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant on the same team. I'm creating different scenarios all around the league where potentially they could land. Then at that point, you feel pretty good about Kevin Durant because you don't need him to be a superstar because you have two other superstars right behind him supporting him, kind of like you do, kind of like you already have in Golden State. Now you have in the East. So there's that. There's that risk. The Lakers can take a calculated, and it's less of a risk for the Lakers, and it seems like they're more all-in on Anthony. Or maybe not more all-in, but we've heard more trade rumors from the Lakers than from the Celtics. And that might be a reflection of the Lakers, but we're not going to talk about that part of the Lakers today. The Lakers would be taking less of a, less of a risk because you already have LeBron James, and he's no, and you know he's not going anywhere, at least for the next two or three years. Or two years, I should say. We know he's not leaving for the next two years, at least. And if you bring in Anthony Davis, you don't have to worry about as much LeBron leaving because you have Anthony Davis and... The Lakers and the Knicks are one of the two destinations that he said I would sign long-term with, so you would assume you'd have Anthony Davis for the future with LeBron or without LeBron, and you'd be set up to bring in more free agents after that, and we're really projecting into the future. And in that scenario, the Lakers trade for Anthony Davis, and their latest package, which was turned down by David Griffin, wanted a little bit more, 
was Lonzo Ball the number four pick, Brandon Ingram, but David Griffin wanted Kyle Kuzma, which the Lakers did not want to part with. And again, we come back to this whole scenario. What, what are the Lakers willing to give up in exchange for Anthony Davis? Are the Pelicans trying to just raise the price as high as they possibly can go? Because if it just came down to Kyle Kuzma and the Lakers' willingness to part with him, I feel like this deal would have been done already. As much as they like Kyle Kuzma, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you'll figure out the rest. It's not that hard, especially going in the West next year. No Kevin Durant. The Warriors are, you know, they're not the same team. The Rockets look like they're kind of starting to break down internally. What's going on with Mike D'Antoni? Is this his last year? Is Chris Paul even going to be on the Rockets next season? Uh, the Thunder, we cannot trust officially anymore. They, I mean, they made it a tradition to lose in the first round. It looked like the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis could be very legitimate contenders to win the West and in that case, potentially win the finals. So you're taking much less of a risk in that scenario uh, if you're the Lakers. Conversely to the Celtics, who'd be taking a very, very big gamble in trading for Anthony Davis, but he's such a great player. Maybe you want to play for one. Maybe you just want to win one championship and then figure out the rest later, which I respect. I, I am all for that, like like Toronto-type uh, blueprint. Let's try and win it right now, and we'll figure out the rest later as we go along. I, I'm okay with that. The Lakers trade for Anthony Davis, bring him in with LeBron James. Wow, Shaq and Kobe, 2.0. Now you need a point guard, because Lonzo Ball is absolutely gone there's no way he does not get traded in this scenario he's done he's gone need a point guard well there's a pretty solid class of point guards in the free agency market this year not just Kyrie Irving but Kemba Walker as well don't sleep on Kemba Walker going to the Lakers he's a very I mean more than serviceable he's an all-star point guard in the NBA he's got a really tough scenario in Charlotte, a very loyal player, wants to stay in Charlotte, but when L.A. calls and there's a chance to get to the finals and there's a chance to win the finals, how do you turn that down for Charlotte? Who you have played on a discount for virtually your entire career and you haven't won. You've only gotten to the playoffs one, two times in his career. And that's with playing on a discount. If you really want a Supermax in Charlotte, what can they offer you outside of I mean, you, just, you would just be playing for the money. And you'd be the greatest player in Charlotte Hornets history. Cool. I mean, that's cool. You'd have your number retired, definitely. But you'd never get back in the playoffs. And you'd spend the rest of your prime in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Michael Jordan would, you know, reap the benefits of ticket sales. That doesn't sound too fun. Now, I get Kemba Walker's a loyal guy. Maybe he really is just wants it. He doesn't mind playing in Charlotte. He wants it, just wants a Supermax, and that's it. If Charlotte does not give him the Supermax or anything less than what Kemba Walker wants exactly, he needs to strongly consider going to the Los Angeles Lakers. And, of course, he'd be the number two option for them because you want Kyrie Irving because of his history with, with LeBron James. But if you were to re-sign with Boston, you go all in on Kemba Walker, who it's one step down from Kyrie Irving, I would say. He's on the very next tier below Kyrie Irving. 
a consolation, but a fantastic consolation at that point. And then there's the outliers, the Nets still. They could trade for Anthony Davis and then sign Kyrie Irving, which would make it, you know, a very formidable team in the East, of course. The Knicks, who, um, Ky- uh, excuse me, Anthony Davis has said verbally, I would definitely re-sign with the Knicks. But how much better does that make them? It would likely cost them that number three overall pick, R.J. Barrett, which would be interesting because you'd get Zion and R.J. in New Orleans, Duke 2.0, which, I mean, would be a lot of fun to watch. But if you're the Knicks, you kind of you need that second piece. You need R.J. Barrett. You don't really have that second piece next to Anthony Davis, so that team wouldn't be... It would be another Chris Dapp scenario, and then Anthony Davis would likely get so fed up in one year that he'd end up leaving a free agency anyway and then head up he'd end up in LA anyway. So it's really it really comes down this whole summer. It's it's nineteen eighty five all over again. Excuse me, nineteen eighty four. They didn't play in nineteen eighty five. Or did they? I don't know. I wasn't born then. I saw the thirty for thirty, but my memory escapes me. It's like the nineteen eighties all over again. It comes down to the Lakers and the Celtics in the summer. It's the Lakers and the Celtics for Kyrie Irving. That's what it comes down to. It's the Lakers and the Celtics for Anthony Davis. That's what it comes down to. And what more could we possibly ask for? What more as a basketball fan? If you like the NBA, what more could you want than the Lakers and the Celtics going head to head? Not and we mind you, it's June. They're not going to play again for months and we're talking about the Lakers and the Celtics in free agency this is almost more fun than watching them play basketball almost it's not as fun but still a lot of fun to talk about and a lot of fun to watch in the Anthony Davis trade that's going to come to a head sooner rather than later especially with New Orleans saying we want to get this done before the draft. Now, with smart, New Orleans is very smart now with David, and I should say David Griffin is very smart. He put a very soft timeline on this trade. It's not like in February where they said, we got to get this done by the trade deadline in four days, or it's not happening, and it was just it was bananas, that whole trade fiasco. He says, we'd like to get it done before the trade deadline, but or excuse me, before the draft, but there's not a deadline. It's not like we have to get it done by this day or it's not happening. But this does create real traction for both teams. And we've heard more from the Lakers than we have of the Celtics. Does that mean the Celtics are not as engaged as the Lakers? No, that just means, again, the Lakers cannot... They have a leak in the boat and they, they haven't seemed to figure that out. But it's still fun to talk about. And it seems like the Lakers are only one piece away from acquiring Anthony Davis. And in in that case, if they were to acquire Anthony Davis, how does Kyrie Irving say no to that? And vice versa, if Boston were to acquire Anthony Davis, why not just stay in Boston and play with Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, rather than go play with LeBron James and no one else and Lonzo Ball? So the future of both the Lakers and the Celtics hinges on the unibrow anthony davis in this next week seven days one week is uh the nba draft over the next seven days the future of the league itself will be in the hands 
Danny Ainge, and Rob Palinka. Now time for the quote of the week. Let's finish it off strong, everyone. Last segment of the show. We do this every single week. We find the best quote that I heard from the previous week, and we put it in the segment, and we call it the quote of the week. It's very intuitive. So here we go. It's kind of redundant. I'm not going to lie. This was a rough week for quote of the week, and here's why. All of the quotes are big stories, stories that we put into the show. There was the Rich Paul thing, and don't blame Rich Paul. Well, we got to talk about Anthony Davis, and we can't talk about Anthony Davis without Rich Paul. This this quote that we have right here, we couldn't talk about it because it has to do with the finals, and it's not like we're not going to talk about the finals. Usually, the quote of the week is a story that's good, but not good enough to make you know a 15-20 minute segment out in the show. So we save that for the end of the show. And we didn't have all the quotes, which is a good and a bad thing. It's good because obviously we have plenty of content, but it's bad because it's we don't know how we're necessarily going to close out the show. So we have somewhat of a redundant quote of the week. What do you want from me? This it's the show is for free. We got demonetized like like two months ago. So here we go. Quote: Basketball is my biggest love, and I wanted to be out there that night because that's what I do. Quote: Kevin Durant. Uh, he put this in his, I guess, ruptured Achilles official announcement. Posted a picture of himself on Instagram on the surgery bed not table it wasn't a picture of him getting cut open or anything like that it was him on i guess his bed i've i've only been in a hospital like a handful of times thank goodness i'm gonna break my arm now just because i said that over the weekend um it was in his hospital bed whatever post surgery and he gave a big paragraph explaining what had happened what he had felt and you know moving forward uh, and this, he had this to say basically kind of clear in the air this wasn't a kind of what I said earlier, this was not Golden State forcing him out there. This was Kevin Durant. He wanted to be out there, wanted to play for and with his teammates. Can you blame him? If you were a competitor, if you were, I mean, if you were a player and you had an injury, you felt you can get through, and it was the championship, and your team needed you, you're down 3-1, you're going to do everything in your power to get out there. And it just did not, it didn't work out. It didn't go his way this time, and it's really unfortunate. And I wanted to put this here at the end of the show to talk more as a fan. Not really so much as a host of Crowd Noise Podcast, but more as a fan. Kevin Durant is phenomenal. He means so much more to the game of basketball than people truly realize. And we're going to be without him for an entire season. Will the league go on? Yes. Will we have... A fun and dramatic season. Absolutely. But it is a shame. And it's very sad to see that we're... I wasn't crying. It sounded like I was choking up right there, but I wasn't. I, I swear I, I'm not crying. It was just... Um, I don't know what the heck that was. My throat got a little bit scratchy mid-sentence there. The league will go on. We will have fun games. We will have dramatic storylines. But it is... It is a shame that we're not going to see one of the top three, top two, potentially top one players in all of basketball next season. It is it is a crying shame. It certainly is. And I personally am wishing Kevin Durant a very speedy recovery. Godspeed, man. I hope you get better. It's, well, I mean, the world keeps spinning. We're going to go on. We're going to have lots of fun. 
but we're not going to forget about Kevin Durant, and we will be patiently waiting his arrival next, next season. And I'm sure that we're not going to forget about, there's going to be plenty to talk about with Kevin Durant. Is he, like I said earlier, we don't know what's going to happen until he opts in or out of this contract. So we have to wait for that. Then we have to wait. If he opts out, where's he going to sign? Who's willing to sign? I mean, we're, we're not going to forget Kevin Durant. We're going to be ready for Kevin Durant when he comes back. And I know he's going to be ready for us when he comes back. And I fully expect him to make a full recovery and beat Kevin Durant himself as he's always been. And I got to tip my hat to him. You know, he put his body on the line for, for the team. You can't take anything away from Kevin Durant there. Played phenomenal. Too. He didn't go out there and stick up the court and then get injured. That would, I mean, even still, it'd be a, I mean, we'd still feel really bad for Kevin Durant. Wouldn't disrespect him like fans in Toronto, but it, it would be really unfortunate if he went out there, wasn't playing like himself, and then got injured. Then you'd really feel bad. Like, man, this guy was truly, truly not ready. But he was phenomenal. He looked like Kevin Durant. He was dominant. And then he goes down. So I, I fully expect him to be back 100% in, in a year. And he's, he's going to be phenomenal. I just know it. So um, that's going to be the end of our show this week. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Anchor Podcasts. Uh, this isn't uh, what I used to do, where I'm telling you where you could listen as you were listening. This is just reminding you to please subscribe. Please share. That would definitely, definitely mean a lot. That would really help grow the community. It would uh, put a smile on my little old face. Um, enjoy the game tonight. It's going to be fantastic. I, we're, I mean, it's been a great finals. It really has. There's been so many storylines, so many ups and downs. Way better than the past two or three finals that we've gotten. So, or two finals, I should say. It's been better than the two finals we've gotten. So, I mean, thank the basketball gods for that. Uh, hopefully the, answer, the basketball gods answer our prayers and we get another game. Game, uh, game 7 on Sunday. So enjoy the game slash games this week. And I will talk to you next Thursday.